Welcome to the Spiritual Life Management Podcast, where we help you bring balance in your life and live to your fullest potential with your host, Gretchen Smith. Welcome to a wonderful episode of Spiritual Life Management Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have just a wonderful guest on the show. It's Stephen Shaw. He's a globally renowned mystic, spiritual life coach, shaman, tantra master, and author of 12 best-selling spiritual self-help books. He's the winner of Book Authority's Best Spirituality Books of All Time and the winner of Best Consciousness Books of All Time. You may be familiar with his work as seen on KTNV Las Vegas, NBC Palm Springs, multiple podcasts, and digital media. Stephen teaches secrets and keys to help people transform their lives. Stephen is the creator of Chakra Shamanism, a powerful combination of life coaching, clairvoyance, and energy healing. He works with A-listers and celebrity clients, mostly in his home in the county of Los Angeles and worldwide via Zoom. Stephen, I am so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Welcome to the show. Hey, Gretchen. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I don't know how I did not know about your work until just recently because that bio is absolutely incredible. I think uh, I get that quite a lot because I've spent the last 10 years traveling around the world and I guess my books have been quietly bubbling around the world. And then when I settled down in Los Angeles about two years ago and married an incredible American woman, I'm a fabulous woman, and suddenly it's just exploding and, and everyone's saying, oh, I didn't know about you. And, and now everybody does. <laughs> yes, yes. And let's get more people out there familiar with you today. So that the listeners can gain just a little bit more insight and get to know you a little bit better, will you provide just a brief overview of your spiritual journey and your story? Because I think it's amazing. It's quite a long story, so I'll try to condense it for you. Yes. My life started off with a bipolar mother, which created a very unsettling, threatening atmosphere at home. And then I lost my mother at five years old. And I grew up with my father, who was a staunch atheist. But at the same time, I was having profound clairvoyant experiences from a very young age. I was able to see in the spirit world, I saw beings of light coming and going, and I had no idea who they were or what their purpose was, so I just called them the good guys. So I landed up in a childhood where I was having these incredible experiences, but I couldn't talk to my dad because he was an atheist, and I didn't have a mother anymore. And I was propelled into this life of searching and seeking, trying to make sense of things like why my mother died early. Uh, what did it mean to my life? How do I find deep love and fulfillment? What do these beings of light mean and so forth? So very early on, I had this kind of life mission where I wanted to find out the secrets and keys to a fulfilling and successful life. I wanted to find out what existence was about and then share it with the world. And that drove me through my whole life. But as you well know, no matter what we believe and what we want out of life, life is happening to us at the same time. So I was carrying wounds from my childhood, from my mother. And I also had a very violent attack when I was 25, which left me with PTSD. So the result of this is while I'm trying to pursue these incredible dreams and visions, I'm also dealing with my own wounds. Uh, I was married and divorced when I was in my 20s, twice. And I got to a point, and this is a long story, I'm giving you a longer version. Right. I got to the, I got to the point when I was 39, and I'd hit a major life crisis because I hadn't quite achieved everything I wanted in life. And that's when my life completely turned around. 
Interesting. And then you went on a, I guess, a, a spiritual journey for about 10 years. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, this is what's fascinating about life. I hit something which I now call a life crisis. And this is when success minus fulfillment creates a life crisis. So there are many of us who maybe not successful, but certainly there are many people who are successful. But that means, for example, you've got a great job, you're earning good money, and on paper, everything looks good, right? I had a learning and development consultancy in the United Kingdom and a psychic therapy practice on the side. And life was really good in terms of money and earnings and, and doing what you love. Right. But I but I wasn't fulfilled. I had not I had never sorted out my emotional issues fully. I've made some progress, but not enough. I'd never found a spiritual mentor who could explain to me what I was experiencing and also show me how to hone and refine my clairvoyant skills. And I just wasn't fulfilled. So at 39, I hit this life crisis. Some people call it a midlife crisis, but a life crisis can happen in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, anytime. And so I'd reached this point of almost desperation. I said, I've had enough of everything. And I packed up my whole life into a backpack, sold everything, closed down my businesses, left my home, left my country. And I decided that I was going to travel the world. Well, not for 10 years initially. I was just going to travel the world and seek the most powerful teachers and healers on the planet. And I was relentless about this. I, I didn't want just an average teacher. I didn't want people who were doing sort of mediocre uh, skills and and teachings. I kept pushing, looking for the most radical people I could find. And it took me, in the end, it took me 10 years altogether. Everywhere I went, whether it was in Tibet or Peru or uh, South Africa, parts of the Mediterranean, everywhere I went, I pushed and inquired and did whatever it took to find the apex teachers. The apex teachers, I mean the highest level teachers. And that turned my life around. I, I experienced the most profound spiritual transformation I understood what self-love really is, uh, fulfillment and joy and peace. It was absolutely incredible. And the teachings were phenomenal. And eventually I put all these teachings in, into the 12 books, which then took off and became bestsellers. Right, right. And I definitely want to dive into the books here in just a bit because they are absolutely amazing. I've started reading one of them and I'm going to be reading. I bet you I will read all of them. So great lessons in those. I'm curious. So you, you've worked with many different shamans. And I guess I want to restate that because you really truly embedded into their lifestyle. That's exactly right. I think if you get to a point in life where what I would call either a life crisis or you're kind of desperate because you just, you know, after a while of living for a couple of decades, 20s, 30s, if you haven't really got what you want out of life and you have a drive or a desperation to achieve what you want, you'll kind of do anything. And I don't mean doing silly things. I mean, just getting in it and learning and emptying your cup. So if, when I went to, uh, for example, uh, live in Peru, whatever the shamans asked me to do, I did. I thought to myself, I can't find all the answers yet. I have a lot of answers, but I don't have everything. And I want to find the absolute limits of knowledge and power. So if the shaman said to me, I must drink this you know, magic potion, for example, or I must do this or that kind of practice, I would try everything. And there's a huge advantage in that. I think if you go into something with a wide open mind and a willingness to experience other cultures, other ideas, other belief systems, you can grow incredibly. And that was important to me. But at the same time, there was a blessing that my dad gave me because his atheism and his skepticism stayed inside of me. So when I went into these different cultures, even though my mind was wide open and I was willing to try things, I was also skeptical and careful. Because if you go into some foreign situation and you put yourself in a vulnerable position, you need to be careful about being gullible. You know, you need to also protect yourself and, and be wise. So there was a huge blessing. So 
I think my dad gave me maybe not all the affection I maybe wanted. You know, he was a man of his times, but he put inside of me this skeptical attitude, which helped me a lot. So I immersed myself very, very deeply when I was living with Tibetan lamas, which I mean, that was profound. I mean, Tibet is, wow, probably the best place I've been to in my entire life. It was an incredible place, beautiful place in every way, and Peru and different places. So yeah, I, I, I immersed myself and I pushed the limits to the absolute, absolute limits to find out all the knowledge and power I could have. And then I could use that to change my life and then come back out of the whole experience and, and bring what I'm doing today to help people, whether it's through seminars, webinars, individual life coaching, or the 12 books. I love that. So did you find any commonalities in like immersing yourself into these different societies? Did you find any commonalities that we are lacking or missing out on in the modern day world? There's probably three things I noticed. And there's a lot of different belief systems and different ideologies in different cultures and different spiritual systems. But the first thing is, I found that all the teachers said that if you do not understand the power of relationships, you will never understand deep fulfillment and happiness. Because we live in a society, especially in the Western world, where we atomized. In other words, we kind of isolated. Everything's about you must be super independent, don't depend on other people, and do everything yourself. And we we have small nuclear families or even single parent families. Right. And the result of this is a lot of us feel anxiety and depression and meaninglessness, a lack of purpose, because as the, especially Tibetan lamas, they taught me that human beings are wired for belonging and connection and intimacy. It's in us, it's crucial. And a huge chunk of our happiness and our fulfillment and our joy comes from having intimate, rewarding relationships. And that's a whole area that we can explore and discuss. So that was one thing that came out a lot. And I had grown up with exactly the opposite of that because of my mother and my dad. I was much more of a lone ranger, taking care of myself and getting deeper and deeper into emptiness and unfulfillment, which is why I had the life crisis. So that was a real turning point for me to understand that people and relationships are absolutely crucial. And the other thing is all the teachers, the high-level teachers spoke about love, 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 and most importantly, the power of self-love. They said that if you do not understand self-love, you cannot love other people properly. You cannot love the world. You cannot make changes. And I had to go through quite an experience of understanding what self-love was and how to make changes to the way I love myself. And that was a radical eye-opener for me. And the third thing is, which we can discuss in more detail if you like at some point, is the power of the chakras, uh, which are energy systems which run in the body. And this was a surprise to me because I didn't really know much about the chakras, but I found that whether it was a tantric master, a Tibetan Lama, a Peruvian shaman, uh, a South African Sangoma, they all knew the chakras, they all understood the chakras, and they all believed that that was a the, the central crux of making radical changes to people. If you know, if you want accelerated, radical, rapid change, it all comes down to the chakras. Well, since we're there with the chakras, let's get into that. But I want to circle back to what is self-love when we get done with the chakras. Sure. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience and how we can heighten our radical self-change? Well, oh, that's, <laughs> there's so many things about that. <laughs> that's a huge one. I mean. I try to I'll try to isolate different issues. So if you want to circle back to self love, that's a, a subject in itself. Okay. And the chakras are a subject in itself, in itself yeah. too. So I mean, there's many different ways. Well, let me start with self love, and we can work our way through different things because all the teachers uh, spoke about self love and how profound and important it is. Yes. So self love, 
and this is pretty much what they all said to me, is it's it's a radical self-acceptance and self-appreciation of your body, mind, and soul. All the teachers, that even though they're deeply spiritual, they all spoke about the importance of your body, mind, and soul. In other words, you're made up of three components, and you cannot neglect one of them. They're all important to contributing to your feelings of happiness and fulfillment. So self-love, and this was, this was hard, and this took me at least a couple of years to get, get thoroughly into. The key thought of self-love is to say, I own every aspect of me. So on the one hand, you discovering who you are, you're starting to understand how you built. And a lot of how we built is permanent. It's not going to change much. You know, you grow up with certain genetics and hormones and brain wiring. That's your physical foundation. You grow up in a culture and a society and a religion which creates a social foundation. And of course, your parents and your childhood, and maybe you had early trauma or abuse or some sort of loss like I did, it creates an emotional foundation. So you're kind of like shaped really early on into a certain kind of person. And instead of fighting this and struggling with it and comparing to other people and contrasting and feeling jealous and envy and dissatisfaction or even self-hate, the important thing is to stop and own everything that you are. It's not worth fighting. You know, you might grow and change and evolve, and that's fine, but you need to start right now by owning who you are. That means owning the way you think, owning your feelings, owning your body, including how your body looks and how it functions, owning the spiritual aspect of you. And that was a big thing for me. And that's a practice, you know. Some of it is done through healing practices to speed things up, but a lot of it is just learning how to say, I own who I am. I'm going to love who I am. I'm going to express who I am. And the ultimate thought, of course, is just, I am. Right. So that's the one thing in self-love. And then we can, you know, I can we can look at ways and how we improve self-love and so forth. Right. I just want to touch on self-love a sure. little bit. It's kind of a buzzword right now, right? We, we, we need to practice self-love, self-care. And I think it's just, um, it's really not looked at very deeply. And then on the other hand, we have the society that is doing almost the opposite. We're bombarded with commercials that we need to lose weight or we need to, I don't know, whiten our teeth. Our teeth need to be whiter. I mean, it's just coming at us from all angles and it's really hard to find that balance. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Absolutely. The thing is, we are almost like put in a prison very early on in life because your parents have their own issues and they grew up in a culture that also shaped them. Mm-hmm. So they put a lot of this stuff on you. And I, from what I've noticed, every every generation, the parents are getting kind of better and better, you know, because you're all growing and evolving, which is wonderful. But still, your parents have put you in a kind of prison. If they had a certain strong religious belief, they put you in that religion really early. And a religion can also be a prison. There's a lot of great benefits from religion, of course, but it can imprison you in terms of limiting your, your way of thinking. So your culture... And as you rightfully said, the media bombards you the whole time with, you've got to look more sexy. You've got to look like this. You've got to look like that. You've got to do this. And eventually you are overwhelmed and imprisoned in what you believe reality is. And of course, none of it's true. I always like to think down to, you know, originally back to, if you think to yourself as being, say, a two-year-old, if you can remember that far back, or even a three-year-old or a Mm four-year-old, those times, or maybe you've seen one, a, a toddler looking at themselves in a mirror, they look at themselves with this unconditional love. It's you know, if you're brought up in a healthy environment, you look in the mirror, you just love yourself. Right. There's no there's no child who's been brought up healthy who would ever look in a mirror and think something negative. They dress like they want unless they've been told not to. They look at themselves, they love themselves. They just it's just natural to love ourselves. The only reason we don't love ourselves is because society and other people have put upon us all these judgments and all these measuring sticks. It says you can only love yourself if 
you are only good enough if, and there's always some condition, which obviously is ridiculous because right. there should be no conditions. Love is love is love, and that's it. So we kind of have to start off by cleansing out all these lies, all these uh, measuring sticks, all these conditions, and go back to the original way that we were, which is just naturally loving. And all of us have this love inside of us, unless we've been abused or traumatized or had all these conditions put upon us. So part of the exciting thing about finding radical and deep fulfillment in life is reversing all these conditions. And that comes down to rethinking and having better strategies on how to uh, free yourself. And what happens if we do experience trauma or abuse, especially at a young age? Yeah, there's something I call a crisis of self, and it changes who you are and how you view yourself. So if you have trauma or abuse or loss, it can often put you in a state where you have these key thoughts running inside of you like, I am broken, I am unlovable, I am not worthy of love, I'm not good enough. And these are key phrases that many people carry around in themselves. Sometimes it's so deeply entrenched that it becomes subconscious and they don't even think about it. And of course, the problem with subconscious thoughts, I always like to say the subconscious mind is like 20 wild horses pulling in one direction. And the conscious mind is like one horse pulling in one direction. So when we, for example, try to use affirmations, which had a lot of popularity, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago. Right. No, an affirmation is something you say out loud, like, I love myself. But the problem is an affirmation is using the one horse in the conscious mind, and it's pulling in one direction. And the subconscious mind, which is a very deeply entrenched program, has got 20 horses pulling in the opposite direction. So when you go, I love myself, I love myself, the subconscious mind says, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. It doesn't suit my programming. I'm going the other way. And it's very hard to have one horse pulling against 20 horses. So as a quick aside here, as a strategy, I mean, it's important to have strategies. Otherwise, this is just philosophy. Right. Uh, one of my favorite things to do, and uh, I discovered this from a Tibetan Lama. I mean, those Lamas, the, the top people, they are fascinating, amazing people. You know, he said to me, well, there's this one particular Lama, he said, don't use affirmations and explain in different kind of terms the power of the subconscious and unconscious and, and, and conscious minds. He said to me, Every, every time you put an affirmation out there, your subconscious mind will immediately counter it. And then he said, but if you ask a question, then there's nothing to counter. So what you have to do is you have to sneak in these life-changing affirmations within a question. And this took a while for me to understand, and I started practicing it, and it was really amazing. So for example, to increase feelings of self-love, do not say, I love myself, because immediately... The 20 horses will counter that. Instead, you ask this question out loud. Why do I love myself completely? So it's a question that can't be uh, accounted. And it also implies that I love myself. So it sneaks under the radar. It's, it's amazing how this works. And affirmations, they do not work. And I know they may work a little bit for some people to some extent, and I get that. But if you can do something that's 100 times more effective, then why wouldn't you? So a, a beautiful question is, why? Do I love myself completely? Or why do I feel worthy of love? And the amazing thing about this is you don't need to answer the questions. You know, if you want to, you can write down the answers in your journal, but just asking these questions out loud on a regular basis. And you can you can come up with, you know, five or ten or twenty questions and ask them once a day or twice a day. So this was a powerful technique to help overcome feelings of lack of self-love and so forth. I love that because when you started asking the why question, 
automatically my mind is just pouring all these, well, I love myself because of this, that, and the other thing. And it's funny how quickly we fill our mind with all of these positive aspects of ourself. Exactly that. Exactly. Now, there's a lot of techniques to overcome self-love. And I'm obviously, you know, a very spiritual person. I'm a clairvoyant. I can walk in different worlds because of my training with shamans and so forth. But also, I've understood that the fundamental thing behind all spirituality, clairvoyance, everything else in life, it comes down to self-love. And this is what all the great teachers have said. So I believe it's worth spending time on self-love because it's not about your ability to be clairvoyant. It's about your ability to truly love yourself first and foremost. Because no matter if you're an engineer, an architect, a doctor, a lawyer, no matter what you do in life, you have to learn how to love yourself. And not just to increase your fulfillment and your own joy and your own peace. But it's crystal clear. And again, all the teachers told me this, and I, and I see it to be true now. You cannot truly compassionately and kindly love other people if you do not love yourself. It's impossible because the frame that you apply to yourself is a frame you apply to other people. There's not two different things. You cannot apply one kind of love to you and one kind of love to other people. It's all one love. So absolutely fascinating. And that's why the shamans in particular and the other teachers taught me the power of positive words. And this is something I found really fascinating. Now, some people, maybe a psychologist, will talk about the power of the subconscious mind and the conscious mind and so forth. And obviously being a psychologist, that interests me because I did a, a university for seven years. But the shamans in particular say that your words that come out of your mouth, out of your throat chakra, affect you personally. In other words, every single word that escapes your mouth, as it leaves and this vibrational energy leaves, it goes into your own energy field, which is kind of mind-boggling to me. I always thought when I'm speaking to someone, it's going to affect them, which it does. But I didn't realize that every single thing that escapes out of your mouth, that vibrational energy goes into your own energy field, in your own aura. So every single time you use some sort of negativity, some sort of judgment, something that's hurtful, that vibration will go into your own energy field and pollute your own energy field and harm your own energy field. So what people don't realize is that every single time you speak badly, if you come up you know, with something sexist or misogynist or racist or judgmental or whatever it is, you're polluting and damaging your own energy field. So you're actually harming yourself. And they said that you need to be very mindful and very careful about how you use your throat chakra. And this was a great lesson to me. That is a powerful lesson. I'm just trying to take it all in right now as you're speaking about this, because that is such a powerful lesson to learn. And it just seems to me that our society seems to be more judgmental than ever before. And we need to really look at how that's affecting ourselves, because I would assume that's creating even more judgment and more negativity. There's a lot of toxicity out there. And I think that's what we have to be careful of. Um, You know, all the great teachers said this to me as well. They said that everything is energy and everything is consciousness. And you have to be very, very careful what is coming into your energy field. It first hits your energy field and then it hits your chakras. And all these things are affecting you. So you have to be extremely careful about what you're surrounding yourself with. So all these teachers said to me, be very careful about what you're surrounding yourself with because all negativity is consciousness and is energy and it will come into your energy field. So for example, if you're spending time on social media and getting bombarded with pictures of, or even television or whatever, and getting bombarded with pictures of people being judgmental 
and toxic and sexist, racist, or violence, or whatever else. It's all coming into your energy field. It's all affecting you. And we said it right at the beginning of this podcast that we're trying to cleanse out all the stuff from our childhood and start fresh and get out of this prison. But what we do in life, unfortunately, is we ascribe to these different programs on TV. You know, we, we watch things like, and it's so embedded the whole time. It's hard. You try to watch a program on TV and suddenly there's a whole lot of violence, you know, and you didn't expect right. that. Trying to watch. So, for example, my wife and I, and I'm, I'm incredibly happily married, and this is the result of all the work I've done and all the work she's done. We have this beautiful, effortless, drama-free, deeply intimate relationship, which is creating obviously awesome amount of fulfillment. But we have the same core values, which is fundamentally important for any relationship. So what we try to do is if we turn the TV on, we try to look for things that are uh, more romantic, more kind, more caring. And it's quite a challenge. You know, you have to look more on channels like Gaia TV, for example. Right, and, right. And even even Hallmark TV, which I know can be a bit saccharine and, and sweet, but you try to look for things that are uplifting because all the shamans and other teachers I work with say that everything is going to come into your energy field. So you have to be super careful about what's surrounding you. Another thing that's so important that I think people don't understand is everyone around you is affecting you with their energy, right? So you have to have the discipline and the strength to walk away from wounded, toxic people. And unfortunately, part of life is as you're growing and moving forward and making these decisions and trying to find your own fulfillment, sometimes you have to let go of certain friends. I know that's challenging. And I know we want to always support our friends and be there for them. But if you've got someone who's very toxic and is wounded and maybe in a dysfunctional relationship, they're going to put all this stuff onto you and it's actually going to affect you. It's really easy to be dragged down by negativity, whether it's on the television or social media or magazines or friends. So part of the revolution in your own life means changing your environment, making sure that what's coming in, whether it's through people or media or whatever else, is uplifting, inspiring, non-judgmental, kind and supportive. This is absolutely critical to performance and joy and peace. I agree. So if, you know, we're being bombarded with this stuff on a daily basis, just about anymore, it's almost impossible to avoid some sort of negativity. And kind of going back into the chakras, if we have our chakras, if you want to call it balanced or cleansed or working properly, and this negativity is impacting our chakras, how often do you recommend working with your chakras? And maybe this is a good time just to dive into what they are. Yeah, the chakras has been one of the most profound things for me to learn about. I remember learning Tantra many years ago. This is the beginning of my journey. Mm-hmm. And Tantra is quite a fascinating thing because it teaches you about sensuality and sexuality and understanding your body. And, you know, a lot of people grow up with body shame or a lack of self-love in their bodies and so forth. So a fundamental starting point for Tantra is learning how to accept your body as it is. And I think there's been some great inroads from what I'm seeing anyway, in America in particular and, and other places in the world, where there's much more people saying, I am what I am. You know, my sexuality is what it is. My gender identity is this. My sexual identity is this. I think it's absolutely wonderful that people can be free. So what Tantra is doing is taking any person, male, female, non-binary, and tell, helping them to understand how their bodies are built, how to get pleasure, how to get satisfaction, and how to have incredible relationships. It's a great starting point. But when I was learning Tantra, I think it was the second teacher I went to, and I'd made great progress in sort of what I call intimacy and, and sexual pleasure. And then she started teaching about these chakras. and we did a lot of exercises and I remember looking around the room and people were 
you know, jiggling around and dancing and all these experiences. And I remember thinking, I don't really feel these chakras. I don't understand what's going on here, you know, and I'm trying, trying to do the exercises. And this wasn't an apex teacher. And this is an important lesson because everything in life is stepping stones. You can go and do, you know, the basic skills and more advanced skills. And as you progress and as you become more ready, you can open up to the apex teachings. And then I went to this advanced teacher and an apex teacher. It took me a while to track one down. And I think it was in the second session, she, without physically touching me, and this is what's amazing, she put her hand near my base chakra, which I'm sure the listeners know where base chakra is, but it's right at the bottom near the base of your spine, because mm-hmm. we have seven main chakras uh, from the base of the spine right up to the crown, the top of the head. And she put her hand probably about a foot away from my base chakra without touching me, and she drove this radical energy into me, which she called divine energy, and it shot up my chakras. And only then did I discover that my chakras were blocked, and they were blocked because of trauma because of my mother, because of PTSD, all the different things I've been through, right? So these block up your chakras. And just before I tell you what happened, I'll explain to anybody listening, the chakras are primarily seven energy vortexes that run from the base of the spine all the way up to the top of the head. And each one represents a part of your life. So the heart chakra obviously represents love and self-love. Your power center is talking about your level of power in life and how how strong you feel and so forth. Your third eye is about your intuition and it contains your past lives. And your crown chakra is your connection to angels, avatars, ancestors, beings of light and the source. Every one of these chakras, the seven main ones, reflects exactly the condition of your life. And everyone also has a way to completely revolutionize that aspect of your life. So if you're working on the seven chakras, you can change your entire life by working on the chakras. So anyway, this amazing tantric teacher, a female teacher, she drove this energy up through my base chakra. And as she did this, I felt this energy move up from the base chakra to the next chakra to the next chakra. And my chakras were kind of like frozen over. So if you imagine them being little lakes of light or little pools of light, light, I mean water, uh-huh. and they're frozen over. So the energy couldn't move through the chakras. But when this energy hit the chakra, it broke this open like shattering ice. And when it happened, I felt this pain, but a good pain. It was like, I actually went, oh, wow. And it was like, it was almost like um, just shocking. And I felt each chakra break open and this energy rushed through me. So the first stage in any kind of liberation, accelerated healing and so forth is to have somebody who has access to very high level energy, not just anybody can do this, and drive this incredible energy up through your chakras to first break through them all and then to start upgrading each chakra. In other words, increasing the vibration and the uh, the level of resonance energy inside each chakra. So that was the beginning. Now, obviously, we can all use energy to an extent. Absolutely. Everybody can do this, and Reiki masters can do it and so forth. But there are, like everything in life, there are levels of shamans, there are levels of tantric masters and so forth. And part of the exciting thing for me, and I was lucky enough to do this, was by, by traveling the world, I was able to experience different people's energy abilities. And there's a vast difference around the world. So if anybody out there wants to create accelerated significant change, you need to find someone who is themselves at a very, very high level of chakra evolution and a very high level of energy management who can create a radical change in you like that. Right. So once they get their chakras, um, we'll just say balanced or open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does require maintenance, though, correct? Because it's not just a one and done forever. It because we're we're bound to experience some more trauma in our life at some point, or negativity, or things that happen. Yeah, let's put this really simply. So, first of all, 
and it's probably going to sound a bit funny, right? So you, if you imagine a garden hose and you're trying to water the lawn, if you put your, you turn the tap on full, right? Right. But if you put your thumb on the end of the hose, you can stop the flow of energy, the flow yes. of water. Or you can put your thumb half over and it sort of sprays out. So this is kind of how the chakra system works. Somebody can come along there and put the tap on full and dry this energy into you. But if you are putting your thumb over some of the chakras, you'll stop the flow of energy. And what we need to do is create a maximal flow of energy through the chakras. Also, what we're trying to do is gradually evolve each chakra to a higher and higher level, which is basically the evolution of your spirit or your soul and your mind and everything. So you're totally right. The first thing is to break through all the chakras. And some of us already have them wide open. Some of us don't. The first thing we do is make sure all the chakras are wide open. Otherwise, you can't really do anything. And the second thing to do is on a regular basis, if you're lucky enough to have some sort of access, you get someone who can continually push up this incredible energy through your chakras and increase the vibrational resonance of your chakras, evolve them and grow them to higher and higher levels. But at the same time, as you're rightfully saying, if we are not watching the words we're speaking, we can pollute our own chakras. If you're not watching what's coming in through social media or television, you can pollute your own chakras. If you're hanging around toxic people, wounded people, sociopaths, you can harm yourself and pollute your own chakras. So everything we're doing in life is either bringing the resonance frequency of our chakras down or up. So part of it is making better choices in life. And that's why as much as it's amazing to have this incredible intervention from an amazing shaman or a tantric master, and that gives you a huge boost in life, and you can do it you know, regularly, every three, six months, or even once a year, you still have responsibility for your own chakras. You have choices, and, and there's no way you can escape your own responsibility. You have to be very, very careful about the choices you're making in life. That's why I spoke about earlier about toxicity and, and the words you use. It's very important to continually maintain and, and allow your chakras to blossom through the choices you make. Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. I love that you have to have responsibility for your own chakras. Mm. And I don't think that um, people think of it that way at all. It's quite interesting because I did a podcast, I think two days ago, Mm-hmm. Well, the guy who asked me some really astute questions, it wasn't so much about spirituality, but he was drilling down really, really deep. And one thing I identified when I spoke to him, and it was great that it came up, when I studied my degrees in psychology, there was a wonderful concept called the locus of control. And that kind of came up in the last podcast because of the nature of a particular question. And this is a profound thing in psychology, which I found extremely useful. The locus of control means basically where you believe your control comes from. So if you have what I call the external locus of control, it means that you believe all your happiness, all the good things in life come from outside of you. And you are dependent upon other people, upon angels and avatars and uh, beings of light. Everything's outside of you, which puts you in a state of almost like helplessness and victim mode. Right. And a lot of people grow up because of the way they're brought up with their parents who may also have an external locus of control. The various ways that people get this indoctrination about everything's outside of myself. I don't have any power. And what they don't realize is they become a victim. And a victim is someone who is pointing the finger out the whole time. Now, we are going to be victims occasionally because if you, if you have something bad happen to you, if you are raped, if you are hit by a car, you should be a victim for a while. You need to stop and say, poor me, I need help. Please hug, hug me and hold me, hold my hand because a victim is natural response to trauma. And it's okay for a while, but we cannot stay a victim. But unfortunately, a lot of people either stay a victim because of trauma or they're just indoctrinated from their parents and childhood and whatever else to permanently be a victim. In other words, they always point outward and blame something else, somebody else for all their problems, 
for their lack of happiness and so forth. So we have to learn how to put the locus of control inside. It's called the internal locus of control. And it says, I have the power to change things. I'm in control of my life. I will create my reality. Now, I want to also put a caveat there. It is absolutely imperative to put the locus of control inside yourself and stop blaming other people. But that doesn't mean you have to be alone because we live in an atomized society which says, don't ask for help, you know? And if we are struggling in life, if we're having a hard time, whether it's a lack of strategies, we don't know how to make changes in our life, or we're suffering physically, whatever, we have to ask for help. So that doesn't take away your control. It says, I'm in control enough to know that I have a problem I can't solve right now, and I'm going to ask a therapist, a psychiatrist, a shaman, or whatever to help me. And that's what life is about. We ask for help. Nobody knows all answers. Nobody has all the strategies. And yet there's so much information out there, so much things that can help you. So the first step is always stop blaming other people. Put the locus of control inside yourself. Take responsibility for making changes, for creating your reality. But at the same time, don't be scared to ask for help because people want to help you. Here's a question for you that I've often thought about. Maybe you have some insight on it. Why is it that people stay in a victimhood mentality for so long? Only because I've seen people stay in that victimhood. They're still telling the same story 20 years older, stuck in kind of a victimhood. All behavior is linked to a reward. And this is, again, a powerful thing I learned from psychology. Everything you do is reward-based. So when you're doing a behavior that is unhealthy, it's because you're actually getting a reward. And this is important to understand. So when we want to change a behavior, we have to take away one reward and give you another reward, right? So to answer your question, if someone is staying a victim, the reason is simple, okay? If I'm sitting here saying to everyone, poor me, poor me, poor me, and everyone around me is loving me and cuddling me and looking after me, I'm getting a reward. My negative attitude is being rewarded by other people because I'm getting loved and cared for the whole time right? Which is almost like a child and a parent saying, if I stay like a little child, all these people around me are parenting me, it creates a nice cozy feeling inside of me. It's the same as, for example, smoking. Smoking cigarettes is insane. We all know it is extremely bad for your health. It damages your lungs. My own dad died from cancer from smoking cigarettes, right? So you think to yourself, well, why would anyone in their right mind smoke a cigarette? Why? But smoking cigarettes gives you a direct reward, a physiological reward because you're addicted to nicotine. It gives you something to do with your hands. It can create calmness in social situations. So there's rewards from smoking. So something you're doing that's bad gives you a reward. So we have to do is say to someone, okay, how can we give you the same reward or a better reward, but you do something different? That's what we have to do. So for example, if you're spending your time doing a crazy amount of drugs or you're doing a whole lot of shopping, you know, a ridiculous amount of shopping, or you're spending time, you know, lost in porn sites, we have to say to yourself, okay, how can you have a different behavior but get the same reward? And that's what we have to do. So a victim, in the beginning, if someone's been hurt, like I said, they could have been raped or had a physical issue, whatever it may be, or an illness, we need to love those people. We need to support them. We need to get through the difficult time. If there's been a death, people have to grieve. And then we have to be there for them, right? But then there comes a point, and it's a difficult time to know exactly when. It's different for each person, but we have to know when to withdraw. Because if you keep on giving to that person in that victim state, they will stay there because they get that reward from you. They get that feeling of, oh, this person loves me. They're taking care of me. We have to start withdrawing that. So people realize, okay, I'm not getting rewarded for this behavior anymore. That's the thing of this, um, like a tough love, you could say, like knowing when to withdraw 
your love and kindness and say to the person, okay, it's enough now. Let's get you onto your feet. Let's look for a new strategy. At some point, you have to stop over-caring. There's a fine line between caring too much for people and disempowering them and finding just the right amount of love that empowers them. And that's, that's the real trick because victimhood is a lack of self-power, right? Right. And if we love someone too much, we can take away their power which is what parents do to children sometimes too. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was also tied into self-love or not loving yourself enough. I just wasn't exactly sure what the situation was there, but it makes 100% sense that it's just, it's a reward and, it, and it's working for them. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, victimhood, I think is more about power than self-love. And a lot of people, I mean, there's definitely a link to self-love, but I think we need to make sure we're empowering ourselves and other people. Uh, this is part of learning life strategies and self-belief. You know what's really interesting? There are, in all my experiences and all the journeys I've taken, there are three things that came out that predict success in life. And this is like slightly separate to self-love now. Sure. And the first trait that defines success for people, and this has been researched for years and years and years, is something called self-belief which is really interesting because self-belief has got nothing to do with self-love. It has nothing to do with self-worth. It just means you believe in yourself. And all the people who achieve huge things in life have had strong self-belief. So this is, again, the place where power and um, victimhood intersect. It's you have to believe. You have to believe in yourself. And that's a change of mind to have. So, you know, self-love is one thing and it's crucial in terms of fulfillment and happiness. But if you want to be successful in life, you have to learn self-belief, the fact that you can do things, you can make changes, you can create your reality. And one of the biggest shifts from being a teenager going through all those huge changes and hormones and, and, and confusion is self-responsibility. And a lot of adults never transition to self-responsibility. They spend their lives basically being a teenager in an adult body. And we have to learn self-belief. We have to learn that we have got power, we can make changes. And again, it's not self-love. This is self-belief, self-power. And one of the greatest things we can do as teachers, consultants, uh, whatever else we're doing to help people, is to make sure people understand that one of the greatest predictors of success is self-love. And it's something you have to choose. You have to choose and understand. You're not a victim in life. Even if you're knocked down, you can get up. Right. And if you fail, you can get up. And every time something goes wrong, you can ask yourself why, what happened, learn from it, and make new changes. It's really a continual process of saying, I'm in charge of my life. I can make it happen. And if I don't know the answers, I'll ask somebody else for advice. I'll talk to a consultant, coach, read a book, get a strategy, talk to healthy, inspiring, supportive friends. And together, we can create this beautiful, beautiful life. So it's really important to understand the power of self-belief. I love that. Now, which of your 12 self-help books covers self-love? The last book I wrote is called Divine Love, and it's the book book number 12. And what's nice about that book is it's the culmination of all my experiences, the travels, the teachers I've been to, and life wisdom. You know, I also went through an evolution for 10 years. So as I wrote these books, each one was progressively getting deeper and more profound. Each one has pragmatic teachings. But Divine Love is a book that is purely about how to create and manifest profound self-love. And in there, there's tons of teachings and exercises. It's very pragmatic. It's not full of new age woo-woo, even though I'm very new age woo-woo. <laughs> um, I am. How can I not be? I'm a clairvoyant and a shaman. Right. You know? So, But the Divine Love book, I absolutely adore this book. And it's not. A, it's a, one of my only books not available as an ebook. It is uh, either paperback or hardcover. 
and I absolutely adore the hardcover because it's like it's like a like a Bible, like a reference book. It's just beautiful to hang around on your bedside table or in your in your lounge or whatever, and open it up every day to a different place. It covers a wide range of subjects in very pragmatic, insightful ways that you can change your life and experience profound self love, and that obviously leads to having amazing intimate relationships and fulfillment. And what I always say to people, if this is the route they're interested in, because every one of my books has different aspects they're looking into, I always suggest that you read Divine Love with the other book that's called They Walk Among Us. And They Walk Among Us is teaching people all the skills required for deep, intimate, rewarding, romantic relationships. And we really need that because as you well know, two thirds of all marriages and cohabiting end in divorce, which is really painful. It's horrible to have that experience. It, it decimates your self-esteem. It makes you feel like a failure. Often there's kids involved, and that's a challenging itself. So we need to have these skills. So I wrote they walk among us so that people can pick up all these different kind of skills to understand the way men and women function, how different they can be, and the skills they can bring. And I created this uh, this uh, technique I call love whispering, which is a profound way to to have intimate relationships. So if you're reading Divine Love and They Walk Among Us, you'll have a combination. Just those two will create radical changes in terms of things that give exceptional fulfillment and joy and peace in your life. Wow. And should a person read one before the other? I I think for me, self-love is such a fundamental and core issue that I feel like people should read Divine Love first because you need, you really need to get self-love under your belt or at least be in process with it. And when you've got that in place, or at least it's progressing, you can read about the, the, the skill sets for, for intimate relationships. Wonderful. I think we need this more than ever right now with everything that's going on in the world. I think so too. I mean, I feel really happy when I see things like the Me Too movement and I see a lot of pushback in terms of racial issues. I feel really excited about it. You know, the Oscars were just presented and there was uh, two black female presenters on stage. Yes. I mean, this is amazing. And despite the difficult situation that happened during the Oscars, there are people winning now who are of color, you know. There's a lot a lot of pushbacks against um, misogyny. And um, we see some big things happening with uh, Harvey Weinstein and, and other people. So I feel, I feel heartened that things are changing. I also feel good that I see a lot of the younger generation are coming out now and saying, you know what, my body is gay or lesbian or non-binary or whatever, and this is my identity. And this is almost unprecedented. You know, when Ellen first came out, it was a huge thing that she had said, oh, this is who I am. Right. And now it's like everyone's doing it on social media and television and everything. And I think I feel heartened, you know, and I feel like some big first steps have been taken. And I feel like if it continues like this and people like myself and you and other people are willing to put ourselves out there and be role models and say, this is how we're going to live our lives. We're going to be non-judgmental. We're going to be loving and accepting. If we can put ourselves out there and and just by being ourselves, we can make changes in the world. Not even if we're teaching people. We need role models. We need people who stand up and be counted. And I think that's exciting. Whether you're a 20 year old who's coming out on social media or you're a teacher or a therapist, if we can stand up there and show the world that we are loving and kind and non toxic and we don't support violence, right? right? Under any circumstances. I mean, that was a shocking thing at the Oscars. We don't support violence. We, we don't support. Uh, racism, we don't support sexism. If we stand up there and be shining lights, then we can start to change this world. And I think it's happening. And if we continue to do that, we can shift our reality personally and professionally and in the whole world. So it's quite exciting in a way. 
It's so exciting. Absolutely. No, I think we have an opportunity to really, if you will, up level the love and the ability to really be more accepting in the world. The key I feel though is if we don't get bogged down or you know mired into all the other stuff that's going on in the world as well. Well, look, I, mean, I think the fundamental thing to remember, and I think this has been like a thread throughout this podcast, and a, and a definitely primary teaching from all the apex teachers around the world is that everything is energy and consciousness. Yes. And everything that's surrounding you is impinging on your mind and your body and your soul and your energy field, and therefore you have to have a big responsibility to choose very wisely about what's around you. And sometimes that means that you turn off the television, you stop watching some of the news or maybe all of the news, you turn off your social media, maybe check it in the morning and turn it off and be very careful about everything that's surrounding you because otherwise you will become overwhelmed and bogged down and you'll change your perspective. You see the world has got a lot of good and a lot of bad. And if we are continually seeing bad from toxic people, from wounded people, from things on television and so forth, our minds look at the negative and we start to feel more negative. It's like you look up in the sky and there's rain clouds and sunshine. If you're always looking at the rain clouds, you'll feel like the world is raining the whole time. So we have to be very careful about where we're putting our attention. I've got this wonderful phrase, which I found to be very powerful. And it's stuck up in my fridge because I'm always in the fridge. I'm always opening the fridge door. You know, that's why I'm one of those people. <laughs> on the fridge, it says, yeah, it's me. It says on the fridge, I choose Gratitude over negativity. And that is very helpful to me. In other words, if I open my mouth and something negative comes out, I'm complaining about something, I'm annoyed about something, anything negative comes out of my mouth, I immediately remember the phrase and I say, right, where can I find gratitude? If something's annoying me in my body right now, where can I be gra have gratitude for something in my body? If somebody else is annoying me, where can I have gratitude? And one of the Tibetan Lamas said to me, very powerful thing he said, Instead of just trying to witness and observe negative feelings, thoughts, emotions, he said, why don't you just ignore it for a second and then put your mind and attention in some sort of good feeling in your body or find some great memory you've got or find something beautiful in life and then put your attention on that, focus on that and immerse in that and then give gratitude. And that way you're creating more and more positive thoughts and energy around you. And it helps you move into a much more positive, loving state of mind and being. Ah, I love that. In fact, earlier today, I was just looking at a quote that basically said, uh, gratitude and attitude, it's a choice. And it certainly is. And as you just said, I mean, it's surrounding yourself with more positivity. And it's such a simple thing yeah. to do. It's really huge, you know. I mean, part of it is self-responsibility, as I said. Some of it is, is you making choices, and some of it is making sure the people around you are right. It's it's profound, the, the effect people have on you. So you have to, and this is a hard lesson for people, because especially if you, somebody is really connected to other people, and you really enjoy relationships, and you want to be there for other people, you have to be very careful about who you're connecting with, you know. Some people, as difficult as it is to hear, are sociopathic. You know, right? Research shows that one percent of the entire population is sociopathic, and three percent of all males are sociopathic. This is a researched fact. So that means, you know, every so often you're going to run into someone like that, and you might run into someone who's severely toxic, someone who's got so little self-love that they are toxic to other people. Right. So you have to make choices about not just your own attitude and gratitude, which is obviously enormously important, but you really have to be very careful about who you're connecting with. And there's nothing wrong with making choices. It's not 
unloving to disconnect from people who are toxic, you know? It's actually self-loving. It's saying, I am choosing my health, my fulfillment, my joy, my peace. And I want to help other people, but there's a certain point where I'm going to draw a line and say, no, I've got to take care of myself and I will not accept any harm coming at me. Ah, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for saying that and sharing that with us. So you have 12 self-help books and I believe that they are, the majority of them are written in sort of a novel storytelling manner, but it gets across all of your messages and your learnings that you've obtained over the, the years. Yeah. I mean, what I learned early in life is that people love stories and most people don't like getting bombarded by facts. It's really boring. So I've written 10 of the 12 books as novels with intriguing, engaging stories that really pull you in. And all the teachings are weaved into the stories. So you're getting all the teachings from the characters in the stories. Like, for example, They Walk Among Us is a supernatural romance that I guarantee will make you laugh and cry and dance with joy. And while you're doing all that and feeling amazing, you'll get all the teachings at the same time. So that's how I wrote the books. And I, I find most people enjoy that. Yes, yes. I uh, I opened I Am and right away I was like, oh, this is different. I love this. It, it kind of made me think a little bit of um, The Alchemist, but it just, it has a different feel about it in the way that the messages come across just really resonate as well as, you know, you really just drink them in and they they stay with you. Yeah, I, I wrote every book for my soul. You know, it's it's the whole essence of who I am and the beings of light that are around me and the guidance I'm getting and the teachings. It just it it was each book was a miracle when I wrote them. I it's part of me was writing the book and part of me was uh, channeling the book and part of me was just watching it happen. It was, it's purely magic. And the greatest thing for me and the greatest thing I think for anybody who wants to help people is when I get emails from people and even the comments you just made. It's so rewarding, you know, to know that these books, and that's why I wrote them. These books touch people's lives. They have tons of five-star reviews. I get dozens of emails. And even if people don't get to meet me personally through, say, life coaching, these books have a profound impact on people. And that's all that I could ask for in life. And that is that is love for me. And that's fulfilling my mission to, to create this joy and fulfillment in people. Ah, wonderful. So Stephen, tell us where we can find you. Where can we connect? Well, my website is I am stephenshaw.com. And Stephen is spelled with a PH, so it can be confusing. But everything's on the website, whether it's uh, people want life coaching or Zoom from me, which obviously is is really fun. I enjoy that so much. Mm-hmm. Or they just want to see the 12 books. All the links are on the, on the website. So it's I am stephenshaw.com. Yes, that's easy to remember. And I also want to let the listeners know that you have books on your site as well that are free. So that's absolutely amazing and very generous. And then in addition to that, the prices of your books that are not free are super reasonable and really easy to get because most of them are um, digital. You can get them digital as well. Yeah, I've just changed the pricing because, you know, COVID's been really tough for people. And I think it's hit people economically a lot. And I thought to myself, why should I charge a lot of money for my book? So what I've done is I've put the eBooks, the Kindles, at uh, currently sitting at 
two dollars ninety nine each, which is insanely cheap. It is considering getting these, these radical teachings from around the world. I just figured to myself, you know what? Let's make it available for people who can't afford a lot, and if people people who can't afford a lot, they can also get hold of me personally for life coaching. So it covers everyone. Everyone can get the needs met, no matter how much they how much money they have on them. Well, Stephen, that is so wonderful. And I just really want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. You have shared so much wonderful, beautiful, useful information that can really help up level our lives. And again, the books are absolutely amazing. I think you can learn just about everything from your books as well. If the listeners are interested in coaching, go to Stephen's website. And of course, I will have all of this information in the show notes as well. So. Again, thank you, Stephen, for blessing us with your presence today. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I'll leave you with my mantra that uh, guides my entire life, and it comes down to just two words, love and serve. Oh, thank you so much. That's beautiful. Hey, listeners, just as a reminder, all of Stephen's information will be located down in the show notes, including links to his books and his website such a joy to have on the show today and just a wealth of information. If you found this information useful and you would like to share it, please go ahead, hit that share link. Again, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Namaste.